Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Let's go. Let's go. Hey. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, ladies, gentlemen. How lucky are you, man? Come strolling in with some, may I say, babes, and just uh, kind of sit down right there. Well, hello, everybody. So the 9 o'clock service is different than the 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock's a little more, a little more peppy. You guys have a great, you guys are great, sort of a great kind of slow, soft introduction into the rest of the day, but not today. Today you're going to be fired up. It's going to be amazing. Um, we were going to have a little fiesta after, but uh, wouldn't you know it, it's supposed to rain exactly from one to three, which is when we were going to have the fiesta. And, and, and we thought, you know, fiesta in the gym just doesn't sound as fiesta-ish. So uh, go ahead and put up the revised... So instead of doing Cinco de Marzo, go ahead and put up, we're doing Nueve de Marzo. <laughs> and so the 19th, so two weeks, and we'll be, we'll be praying against all the, the false weather um, river demons that are flooding California right now. So, so if you came ready, which none of you did or probably remembered, uh, but if you did, I'm sorry. We're still going to have, um, oh man, what's it called? Robles, are you in here? What's the dessert we're having? Shortbread? Conchas. Is that how you say it? Because I, I grew up in Ohio. I know Spanish very well. So we're having some sort of treat after. I don't know what it is. All right, because we couldn't, we, couldn't, we couldn't postpone that part. Uh, a couple other things. If this is your first time with us, this is actually a church community, believe it or not, formed out of a podcast, and, um, and so we've been, we've been around for almost a year, uh, and, uh, and one of the things that we're just thrilled with is the fact that we have so many misfits and screw-ups and outcasts that, that call this place home, so look around. The people next to you are more screwed up than you are, so welcome. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, and, uh, and one of the huge values we have for our community is, is we think the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. Um, because we believe in the reality of fallenness, we're not shocked when people do crazy things. Because we believe in the reality of redemption, we never give up on people. And because we believe that Jesus has risen, um, we want to be purveyors of hope in a world that has very little of that. Hi, Andy. Hi. So this is my friend Andy. Hi. Thank you for the water. Um, I, I just want you to know I refill that. Okay, I'm not wasting. I'm not wasting that. Um, I refill it with air and then throw it in the trash. So, um, so I just want you to know. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can go to voxoc.com. There you can sign up for something called New to Vox Dinner. We also have something called Table Fellowships. These are not small groups. These are not Bible studies. So we had the first one on Thursday with uh, 18 to 26-year-olds. We had about, I don't know, 15 people around our kitchen table for three hours, and we talked. And that's all we did. We shared a meal, and we got to know each other. It was fantastic. You can sign up there for those as well. All right, one of the things we do to, to make it safe to talk about anything is we take questions. Needless to say, after presenting a non-traditional view of hell last week, there were a few questions. Um, that, and none of you have decided to write short questions. 
So uh, I don't know how to answer all these because literally we can't put them on slides. They're so long. So I'm going to take three quick ones because we've got a bunch to get to today. Uh, but I'm going to find a way to kind of answer uh, the load of questions that came in. So here we go. Uh, we'll do these real quick. You could text in anything today as well. Remember, one of the things I was talking about last week is if you just had your Bible, would you come up with the view that hell is eternal conscious torment? Or if you just were reading your English words, does it sound like at some point that those that, for whatever reason, will not uh, reorient their lives around God uh, cease to exist? So the question is, if the conclusion you came up with is the conclusion, if the conclusion you came up with is the conclusion you came up with by just reading the Bible, why isn't that the traditional view? Why haven't other people come up with this conclusion? Lots of people have come up with this conclusion. The, the traditional view the reason the traditional view, one of the reasons the traditional view has been popular is that there, there is some biblical support for it. Um, and uh, I think the biblical support is heavier on the view I was advocating, but there is biblical support. Really smart, Jesus-loving people um, hold the traditional view. Secondly, uh, the traditional view has been abused um, greatly and has captured the, the modern imaginations to the point where it's tough to picture hell as anything else. Um, thirdly, the, tr the, the big objection to a view that's not eternal conscious torment is, well, then if, if all you do is cease to exist, then why would anyone come to Jesus? Like, why? And, and, and do you see how crazy that objection is? The objection is, well, we can't scare people into following Jesus if you soften the view of eternal torment. How sick is that? Like the only reason to come to Jesus, it's like raising my child. Son, my only goal for you is to stay out of prison. That's my only goal. Anything else is gravy, just stay out of prison, right? That doesn't teach you how to live. How do you fall in love and devotion to God if the only reason you've said yes to this God is because you are terrified of being tortured forever? Is that a God that you could fall in love with? I mean, I just, I, so I think there are reasons why not just there's some biblical evidence for it, but I think there are reasons why the traditional view is held kind of power in our collective imaginations. But more and more people are kind of taking a fresh look at it and saying, well, I don't think that's the only way to read the text. And that's all we were presenting was just another way. The goal always is for you to think for yourself. Please understand that. We're, we're not in the position of taking stances on things. We just want to provoke conversation, thought, wrestling, and prayer. Sound good? Next. Do you believe all people have exposure to Jesus Christ? Thus, is a choice to believe or not uh, to believe in him leading to eternal life? I've always wondered about people who have never been exposed or heard the name of Christ elsewhere in the world. I don't know if that's the end of the question. Next slide. Is that the end of the question? Yeah, okay, so that was the end of the question. So we did a whole podcast, uh, and I'm not plugging the podcast, but we just spent an hour on what about people who've never heard of Jesus? Um, and how does Jesus rescue those people? Because the scripture is clear that the only way to the Father is through Jesus, but the scripture also is really clear that Jesus was the agent of creation, and he's the one that's holding all things together, and, and it seems like Jesus is a lot bigger than just our Christian box. When you hear the stories from particularly the Muslim world of the way Jesus is appearing to people in dreams— you just realize Jesus has never needed us. When missionaries talk about, I'm going to take Jesus someplace, wrong. Jesus was there. You're showing up, right? God doesn't show up anywhere. He's already there. 
So, so the, be, the, the big answer I'll give you is to refer you to that particular podcast episode because we kind of do a theology of how it is that God reaches people. Because think about it. What if you have a, a bad missionary? Who, what if you were abused by a priest? What if you've never even heard the name of Christ? Really, God is going to check you at the door for something that you did not. I just don't believe God's like that. Every single human heart that is open to God, God will reach. Absolutely. God is relentless in his pursuit of every human person that has ever been created, ever. And I just think he's far more genius than we give him credit for. Next. I feel like the message of Romans 5 is how much more powerful the actions of one man, Jesus, are in comparison to the actions of the first man, Adam. So the text is, in Adam all have died, so in Christ all will be made alive. Okay, that's the text this is referring to. If Adam's actions infected all of the human race with a sin nature, then I think the line of reasoning follows that the actions of God in Christ, in flesh, would eradicate that sin nature and be replaced with the righteousness of God inside every person, all caps, eventually. Thoughts? So do you see what they're saying? If Paul's argument is, hey, Adam sinned and sin infected everybody, then why isn't it true that Jesus came? Why doesn't Jesus' righteousness infect everybody? So this is an argument for a view called universalism, right? Which is that ultimately every single person will be reconciled to God. And this is one of the passages that universalists use. There's a great book called Four Views on Hell that you should read, second edition. It's phenomenal. The, it's the, be, the argument given in, in there for universalism is the best argument I've read for universalism. I'm not in particular a universalist only for this reason. What was Jesus warning people about? If everyone is going to be reconciled ultimately, why were his, why were his warnings, particularly to his country, men and women so stern and harsh about the reality of Gehenna. If ultimately Gehenna was just going to purify people and then get them into the city, I just, Jesus has to be referring to something real in all of those texts. I'm just not sure I buy that everyone will be reconciled in the end. I'm way open to the fact that God, that God will be relentless in wooing people into the city. Um, I just don't know what Jesus would be referring to if ultimately we're all ended up in the city to begin with. I'd love that to be true. I would absolutely love that to be true, with some exceptions, right? I mean, Hitler can take a hike. Um, but I don't know that we have enough biblical warrant for that uh, in comparison to uh, the other views we're talking about, all right? Now, again, if you're new, we've spent like eight weeks on, on what, it is to, like, what, what, it, what it is to be judged by God and what judgment is and what it's not and ultimately what hell is and what it's not. So you can catch up uh, online with that conversation. And it's a conversation um, loads of people want to have, but often you know, we don't talk about uh, in a community like this. And, and we're big fans of talking about things that aren't normally talked about. One of the ways we embody that is uh, we, we have uh, folks in our community who share their stories. And the stories aren't always glamorous and they don't always end in pretty red bows. And the reason we share them is to remind people that if you're here, and you're struggling, you are not alone. And that God is a big fan of doubters and skeptics and wanderers. And, um, you know, he is constantly beckoning us, no matter where you are, um, to be reoriented towards him. So um, I want to introduce to you Tiana. She is one of our team members. Tiana, come on out. And say hello to Tiana. 
Say hello to the 9 o'clock service. You are usually hello. in children's at this time, correct? I am in preschool. You are in preschool, yes. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you more. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Um, so my name is Tiana. I'm 19 years old, and I was born into a loving Christian home. My mom's right there. Hello. However, my whole life, I've always struggled with asking the question, why, God? Why did this happen? But before I get into it, I would like to take a second to say that I'm very blessed and thankful for so many wonderful things in my life. But throughout all of the great moments, there have been some really hard days where I cried out to God, why? But this was not an angry cry, but one of absolute desperation, sadness, and confusion. The first time this happened was when I was 10 years old and found out that my parents were getting a divorce. I recently found a letter that I had written to God in this time. Mm. I'll read it to you. Dear God, I hope Mommy and Daddy always love each other. Why, Lord, why doesn't Daddy love Mommy? Why? Please do all that you can to help Daddy know he still loves Mommy. Please. The thing is that I just didn't get it. I wasn't angry at God, nor did I turn away from him. I simply just didn't understand why this Jesus that loves me so much would let my parents get a divorce. Mm -hmm. A few years later, my mom started dating an atheist who showed us documentaries trying to prove that God didn't exist. He asked me questions I didn't have answers to and manipulated my mom and I to stop going to church. Thankfully, God brought me back through a friend. But my mom's faith in mine had really been shaken. Fast forward several years, and I'm in high school. I have an amazing boyfriend, Brett. I got the lead in the musical. I had a great group of friends. Everything was wonderful. But over the next year, one tragedy hit after another, after another, after another. A boy I was dating my sophomore year pressured me and molested me. It was so traumatizing that in order to protect myself, my brain completely blocked it out. Mm. I literally had no memory of it, none, until two years later when it all of a sudden came back through a flashback. I suddenly had to deal with all of the emotions that I never processed then. I felt so unworthy, unloved. I felt that it was all my fault, obviously. Mm. I asked myself, how could anybody ever love me after that? Mm. I was unwilling to share about it in fear of people thinking that I just made it up to get attention or something. <sighs> Thankfully, God rescued me and healed me through his never-ending love, mercy, and grace. But I still get flashbacks sometimes today, and it can be really scary. Mm. Just as I was recovering and doing better, three family members passed away within a span of two weeks. Then a woman I loved and looked up to named Soka was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. She declined so quickly that it literally felt like I was watching her die right in front of my eyes. I came home from my summer job early to take care of her, and then she later went into hospice. Watching her slowly die was heartbreaking, but what was worse was when she all of a sudden completely cut me off and said she didn't even want to speak to me anymore. I couldn't handle it. I cried out, why, God, why are all of these bad things happening? I didn't do anything to deserve all of this. I then started college at Cal State Fullerton, feeling lonelier than I ever have before. I hated being a business major. I was failing multiple classes. I didn't have any friends on campus. And then I found out that my mom needed surgery for a 20-centimeter mass growing out of her kidney, possibly cancerous. 
After all of this and more, by October 2016, I found myself struggling with feelings of depression and anxiety. I'm generally a very joyful person. Ask anybody that knows me. Yet, during this time, I felt numb. I wasn't eating or sleeping. I was constantly worried and afraid, and I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody. I felt so alone. I also hated myself for the terrible th things that were happening. Mm. This was also around the same time that I started volunteering with Vox Kids. It felt amazing to be welcomed into a church community that made me feel safe and loved instead of telling me, God will never give you more than you can handle. What does that even mean? First, I thought you were going to cuss I, there. I thought you were no. going to cuss there. I was like, no. hold on. I just, I thought, I didn't know what was coming. There was this pause, and then I was like, okay, no, it's all right. God will never give you more than you can yeah, handle. Well, okay. First of all, God did not give it to me. And second of all, it is way more than I can handle. Anyway, after everything that had happened, I was officially diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I specifically remember sitting in my car crying uncontrollably, hyperventilating, and instead of asking why God, I softly cried, please help me, please help me, please help me, louder and louder each time. And suddenly, I remembered something that I had heard. You see, God doesn't always promise the answer to this question we ask. Why? Why, God, are these things happening? But he does promise himself. He promises that he will be there in those moments with you. And in that moment, when I felt more alone, broken, worthless, pathetic, empty, and terrible than I ever had before, I knew that God was with me. I know now that Jesus loves me more than I could ever imagine and that he cries with me when I'm crying. And God is also with me through other people and through music. Throughout this whole time, my incredible boyfriend, Brett, encouraged me and helped me tremendously. I couldn't have got it, gone through without him. I also started writing worship songs to pour all of my emotion into. Writing music is extremely therapeutic and has really helped me grow in my faith. As 2016 came to a close, I was looking forward to a new year, perhaps one without terrible tragedies. But things didn't go as planned. My great-grandpa passed away in February. But it's okay because God is with me. I still struggle with asking why, but not as much as before. The answer really isn't that important compared to the wonderful love and joy I've found in Jesus. I'm still in process, and I'm sure I have a lifetime of wonderful and not-so-great moments. But as long as I have Brett, my family, and my friends by my side, I know I'll get through it. However, I would still be depressed and possibly even suicidal without Jesus, so I'm very thankful for him. Amen. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Thank you. What's your boyfriend's name again? His name is Brett. He's oh, right there. Oh, I know. There. It was, you said it like four times. I know. <laughs> I was just kidding. Jesus, 12 mentions. Brett, 18 mentions. You can see why we love Tiana, and we tell those stories, because that's the reality of life, right? It's, it's not just seasons of glory. Um, there are seasons of hardship, and, um, and so we're grateful uh, to her and for so many others um, who come up and just remind us we're not alone, 
and, um, and that God is not far off. So uh, we're going to do some singing, and as always, um, we want to hold two things in tension. We want to give great permission for those of you that aren't into the hype and the fog and the whatever to just sit and to reflect and to, uh, and to engage. Um, and, and we also want to realize this just isn't, these aren't just wasted words. This isn't just filler time. This is something that we do to reorient our bodies, our words, our minds back around to the things of God. So, um, as always, you have great permission to stand, sit, kneel, sleep, whatever. Um, uh, but I want to pray, and, uh, and we'll go on together. God, thank you for Tiana. And, and in 19 years, that's so much. <sighs> Lord, there is so much uh, darkness and we yearn for the day when tears will be wiped away. We yearn for the day when uh, things will be made new. We yearn for victory and resurrection. And God, our prayer um, is that as we collectively together worship and uh, take the bread and the cup and are reminded of the things that are true, that you would form us and shape us into people who look and feel and act and speak like this Jesus of Nazareth. And so to that end, God, we offer you this time and ask your presence to be among us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, guys. Izzy uh, calls this lineup our Neil Young lineup. Not sure why, except some aged rockers. Wow. <laughs> Just that one. <laughs> Oh, my brothers and my sisters. So uh, what we thought we'd do today is uh, something a little different. Um, these prayer little station things have been really interesting to us. It's been a, a unique window into the heart of our community. Uh, the inspiration from them came from the Western Wall in Jerusalem, where uh, I was there a couple of years ago, and, and you approach the Western Wall with this incredible... It's just awe-inspiring, and it's, it, there's just this reverence to it. And you see uh, the Orthodox community, you know, they're praying, and they're rocking, and they're reading Torah, and they're reciting, and it's, it's just amazing. And, and you take just a, a, a tiny bit of paper, and you write a word or a request, and you jam it into the cracks between the stones of uh, the Western Wall. And that is one of the ways you lay your requests before God. And so um, we were thinking of a way that our community could approximate something like that. And so we came up with uh, these little stations where you roll parchment up and stick them in those holes. And, um, and what's come in, uh, as I've, I've, I've said a couple of times, has is, is been pretty, um, pretty remarkable in terms of both the honesty of people and um, the heaviness of the depth of struggle and pain and disappointment in our community. And I'm sure this is true of every, every community, but um, I, I would argue we lead the church league in uh, screw-ups, outcasts, and misfits, uh, just on a per capita basis. Um, and, uh, and so um, what we, what we want to do is, because God is a God of props, God is a God of pictures, God is a God of tangible reminders, right? This is so important to, to life with God. If, if when God said, all right, I want to, I want to remind you that uh, I'm not going to flood the earth. He gave us rainbow. He, I want to remind you that you're a new creation. 
give you baptism. I want to remind you that my body was given for you and my blood was shed for you. Here's the Lord's Supper. He's always, he's always providing tangible evidences of his love, of his presence, of the covenant that we now live under. And so today, I want to look at another one of those kind of tangible pieces we want to add into our community. So if you have a Bible, an app, uh, go to Luke chapter 8. Uh, if not, if you're new to the Bible, we have uh, loads of people in our community who are not sure about the whole Jesus Bible thing. We're thrilled that you're here. We put everything up on the screen so uh, that you can follow along. This is a very famous encounter that uh, Jesus has, uh, Luke chapter 8. And uh, let's go to verse uh, 40, Luke chapter 8. Now when Jesus returned... A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way to heal this girl, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Now, this is, this is interesting. How old's the daughter? How long's the woman been uh, subject to her disease? 12. So, in, <laughs> sometimes Jesus, he's operating on multiple levels. And so, so some commentators think anytime you're seeing 12 anything, that's symbolic of Israel. So here's Israel almost dying, needing to be resurrected. Here's Israel bleeding and unclean, needing to be purified. And yet there are real people behind these very real, real requests that Jesus is getting. It's just an interesting way that Luke sort of puts these stories together, that Jesus is on his way to go heal a 12-year-old, and here's a woman who's been subject to bleeding. So some sort of feminine problem, nonstop bleeding for 12 years. Now, according to the Old Testament, that renders her perpetually unclean. Okay? She cannot be married. She cannot have children. She, I mean, she has to, uh, if, if she touches anybody, they're unclean. If she sits on something and then a man sits on something, that man is unclean. The furniture is unclean. Her house is unclean. I mean, this is an awful, awful condition. It's not just the, the bleeding itself, but it was what it did to this woman and how it isolated her from everyone and everything that would have been so catastrophic. Okay? So a woman like this, seeing this big crowd, mostly men most likely, trekking with Jesus to go to this uh, house. As Jesus was on his way, a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding. No one could heal her. She came up behind him and she touched, and what's it say? The edge of his cloak. And immediately the bleeding stopped. Now, Luke is writing to non-Jewish people, most likely. But if you're Jewish, you would have understood that what she was reaching for wasn't just any part of Jesus. She wasn't just like, okay, I, I just anything, right? Whether it's a sandal or, or whether it was the top part of his cloak. But the edge of his cloak, there was something unique there. She was aiming for the edge of his cloak. There was, there was, she, was, she had a target in mind. And, and the scene that we're envisioning here is that she literally has to like sneak her way through all of these crowds to get close enough to Jesus and risk touching 
something that Jesus had on, which is what would have made him unclean. And anyone she touched as she was making her way through the crowd would have been unclean. So it's a huge risk. It's, it's a lot of chutzpah. It's a lot of faith. But she's a bit horrified because if she gets noticed, right, the, pe- the, the, the people, the crowd, they're going to be angry with her because she's at risk of defiling them all. So she's aiming for the edge of Jesus' garment. Go to Numbers chapter 15. There we read about what is at the edge of uh, Jewish garments. Numbers 15, a very popular passage. Most of us have this memorized. Numbers 15. Now, the garment that Jesus uh, was wearing was called a tallit. Um, and and there, are, there are things that are described to be placed on it. So, Numbers 15, verse 37. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make what? Tassels. Now in Hebrew, it's the word zitzi. Okay, T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. Zitzi. That's the word for tassel there. You are to make tassels on the corners of your garment with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at so that you will remember all the commands the Lord has given you. You will obey them and not prostitute yourself by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and your eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands, will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, today, those cloaks aren't worn in the same way. What's worn instead... Uh, are prayer shawls. So when you go to the Western Wall, you'll see something like this. It'll be worn like this. And, and it's fascinating. These, so, so this is a prayer shawl. Back in Jesus' day, it was a whole garment called a tallit. These little tassels are the tzitzi, or plural tzitziot. Okay, you can see them right here, Correct? Correct? And they were, they, were, they were incredibly symbolic, obviously. Because uh, what, what you had, you had five knots that represented the five books of Moses, the Torah. You had four spacings between the knots, which represented the four consonants of the divine name, Yahweh. You had eight strands of, of um, a fiber that are woven through this argument, or this argument, this garment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it's not eight strands. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what was happening there. Uh, and and in, in Hebrew, <laughs> in Hebrew, um, you didn't have a separate uh, alphabet for numbers. So letters uh, were numbers. And so there's a great deal of numerology in, uh, in the Bible, and not in the weird kind of conspiracy theory way, but, but just uh, a lot of symbolism. And so um, uh, it's fascinating because when you, when you take the eight strands and you take the five knots, you get 13. And so they, they, that is the numeric value for the word echad, 
which is the word that means one or alone. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Um, there's a huge symbolism in that. And if you take 13 and you add it to the word zitzit, the numeric value of that, 600. And so 600 plus 13 is equivalent to the 613 commandments of the Old Testament law. All right. So there's a lot going on in this. And even today, like we were watching Shark Tank the other day. And uh, just, I'm going to be an inventor someday. And uh, I'm going to invent a cure for sweating. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and, and a, Jewish, uh, a Jewish rabbi came on, and underneath his suit, he had tassels that were affixed to his T-shirt. So even today among the Orthodox community, you're wearing these even if you don't have a prayer shawl on. So the garment that Jesus would have had would have had tzitzit on uh, the corners of them. And it's interesting, a round garment with corners, so that's always fascinating. Uh, a, a, a massive amount of symbolism. In fact... When you, when you get to, um, oh, this is, oh, I didn't notice this. When, when, you, uh, when you get to Israel, you'll see people praying like this, and that's called their prayer closet, so you're not distracted. So when Jesus says, go into your closet and pray, he doesn't mean that, that place where you put your vacuum cleaner. Uh, he's meaning don't do it for show, you know, don't, I mean, it's just, it's all, it's just so interesting, right? So you're wondering, okay, what's this have to do with anything? Well, Interesting, uh, zitzit can also be translated uh, wings. And so the wings of the garment, the wings of the garment were these corners that had the zitzit. And you can see kind of as you're, if you're zipping around, right, you can see how these kind of can be seen as wings. In fact, go ahead and put Psalm 91 up. The wings of the Lord describe the protection God gives to those people who follow his ways. So the Lord is a God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, O Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? Next. They pour out arrogant words, all the evildoers are full of boasting. That's not the, that's really not the passage I was looking for there. Um, <laughs> I must have given him the wrong one. Avenge, Lord, yes. Uh, there was a, supposed to be a part about wings there, so I'll fix that for the next service. All right. Uh, hold on a second. It's the argument that's happening again in my garment. Uh, oh, my goodness. All right, I don't even know where it is. All right, so picture on the screen a great verse about residing in the wings of the Lord and under his protection. Okay, yes, yes, thank you very much. Now, an interesting tradition developed playing on this wing imagery, and in fact, it's quoted on here. I'd never, I'd never seen this before, but it's from, from the book of Malachi. Please tell me we've got Malachi. Oh, it's the right one. Here we go. Uh, so, so there was a passage um, that came to be tied to this garment. And, and it was this, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And the word rays there is actually the word that we would translate wings. Older translations have it as wings. In fact, that Malachi passage is right here. But to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And because the corners 
Now, the edges of this garment were known as the wings of the garment, associated with the tallit and the zitzi attached to them. When it says in Greek that the woman was reaching for the edge of his cloak, what was she reaching for? She was reaching for the tassel of his cloak. Why? Well, we think it's, and, 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 a couple, and this happens a couple of times in the ministry of Jesus, that people were grabbing the tassel of his cloak with this passage in mind, the Son of Righteousness should arise with healing in his wings. And so the picture in Luke, back to Luke, the picture in Luke chapter 8 is of a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She has the audacity, that's what chutzpah means, the shameless audacity to interrupt Jesus as he's going to heal somebody else. Okay? But she doesn't want to stop him. So she's just, she, I mean, I can't even imagine. She's just trying to like track to get just enough room in the crowd so that she can come and just grab. But what's she aiming for? She's aiming for his tassels. Why? Because there was a belief evidently in Jesus' day that the Messiah would carry healing in his wings. And so she reaches out. It's fascinating. And this is why, this is why Jesus stops. So back to Luke. And a woman came up, she came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Now Jesus stops immediately. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, people are jamming around you all the time. What do you mean, who touched you? We're all touched, we're all bumping into you. What the heck? Mike, you paraphrase. But Jesus says, notice, but someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Why is that? Why is he making a deal about this? Because there was someone in the crowd who had faith enough to believe that he was the, what? The Messiah. And this wasn't true of all the crowds. And so he stops. Now imagine if you're the woman. Okay? Number one, as a woman, you don't touch a man in public. Number two, as an unclean woman, you do not touch anyone. Jesus turns, then the woman, verse 47, seeing that she could not go unnoticed. Remember those want to get away commercials? This is her moment. She came trembling and fell at Jesus' feet. Why is she so scared? She's defiled the rabbi, right? In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. And then he said to her, oh, oh, I can't even tell you what this would have meant to her shame. He looks at her and he says, daughter, daughter, doesn't sound like much to us, like just an affectionate name. No, no, this was restoration of her to the community. This was like against the shame of 12 years. I mean, Jesus is just, he's just amazing. Daughter, daughter, hugely affectionate. Your faith has 
healed you. Now, the word that Jesus uses for healing is a word that's bigger than just physical healing. It's spiritual. It was social, right? She's healed now and restored to the community. And it was physical. It was emotional, right? It's, it was holistic. And then he says to her, go in what? Peace, which is always the concept of shalom. Go now in wholeness. Now this, oh, this is where Jesus is, I think, a lot different than sometimes he's portrayed. Because there's this tension that I see in Christian circles where some people think that all Jesus is interested in doing is saving souls and rescuing them out of this earth into heaven. And other people think all Jesus is interested in is just feeding the hungry uh, and alleviating poverty. And, uh, and the answer, of course, is, well, he's interested in all of that and more. And this is a picture of Jesus, not only of his incredible heart of compassion, where the unclean in the woman gets trumped by the clean of Jesus, calling her daughter and restoring her to the community, of her great chutzpah and audacity to sneak and just try to grab one of the tassels. But it's also a picture of, of the fact that the work of Jesus in us is far more than just forgiveness, right? In fact, we could put it this way. Next slide. We talk a lot about the work of the cross for us, right? Jesus died for your sins. We talk a lot less about the work of the cross in us. This constant orientation that we're to have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. That it, it's not just that Jesus died so we don't have to, it's that Jesus died and so we join him in his death. That the work of the cross in us, next slide, it's not just a legal transaction where in the great ATM of heaven, Jesus, I give you my sin, I get your righteousness, you took my punishment, I get to go to heaven when I die. And for a lot of us, that's, right, I pray a prayer and then it's done. Maybe. But the work of Jesus is a lot bigger than that. It's not just a legal transaction. Actually, Jesus is very interested in transforming you. Like, we actually believe that transformation into the image and likeness of Jesus is something that Jesus is interested in. It's not just healing and forgiving, but it's restoring, and it's sanctifying, and it's growing, and it's transforming. Next slide. So often when we talk about salvation, all we mean is forgiveness. That I'm a sinner, Jesus died to pay the price for my sin, I'm now forgiven. And is that true? Is it true? According to scriptures, absolutely. But is that all that's true? Not even remotely. When Jesus looks at her and says, your faith has healed you, he doesn't just mean she's forgiven. It's you're restored. Your shame's taken away. Your guilt has been dealt with. Now live in wholeness, he says. Go in peace. So the work of the cross for us, yes, hallelujah, we get the transaction, okay. But so many of us just settle for that little bit. Oh, great, I've got forgiveness. Sweet, I'm good. It's so much larger than that. And Jesus paints a picture here of a salvation that's so much bigger than just forgiveness. Next. In the classic conception, salvation is there and then. It's heaven and it's someday. Right? 
And we've been banging away at that, that Jesus never was walking around saying, follow me and you'll go to heaven when you die. He never says that. His message is always, reorient your life now. Because in my presence, the kingship of God is now available separate from the priests and the offerings and the sacrifices of the old system. Right now, there are rivers of living water being poured out. Reorient your life by faith and seek first my kingship. Right? I mean, this is his message. It's very much a here and now message. Does that have there and then ramifications? Of course it does. One of the things, as I talk to Jewish people, one of the things they're constantly, constantly annoyed at by Christians is why do you Christians talk so much about the future when the kingdom is all around you? Right? Salvation isn't just there and then, it's here and now. Next. In the traditional conception, what's the goal of salvation? We go up, baby. We are souls to be evacuated from this nasty, dirty earth. What's the biblical story? If, you wanna, if, you, if someone ever says... Someone ever asks you, hey, what's the biblical story in 30 seconds? Here it is. Are you ready? God gets closer. He walks with Adam and Eve because of sin and death. Now there's a separation. He rescues his people. Build me a tabernacle. I'll dwell among you. Build me a temple. I'll dwell among you. In Jesus, he tabernacles among us, and then through the Spirit, he now dwells in us, not just among us. That's the biblical story. God drawing nearer. God getting closer, as close as God can possibly get. That's it. And the biblical story doesn't end with us in disembodied heaven with wings and harps, right? It ends in a new heavens and a new earth with resurrected bodies, as we've talked about. And then lastly, following Jesus isn't about going to heaven. Jesus, following Jesus is about bringing the rulership and the glory and the power and the beauty of the heavens to Placentia, California, that we should rename immediately. <laughs> Non-Californians hear that and say, what? Really? Yes, Placentia. <laughs> Glorious Placentia, California. <laughs> but do you see the difference? And for some of you, this is not new news. But when I, when I, when I hear this story, and when I see what Jesus does, and, and, and it's not just that he forgives her sin, although that's included, but it's that he calls her daughter out of shame and into restoration. He, he gives her peace, wholeness. It's a reminder to me, a tangible reminder to me, that I don't just pray for forgiveness, but I pray for healing and I pray for restoration, and I pray for the removal of shame, and I pray for no condemnation, right? And when, I, when we're getting all of these prayer requests, I mean, the heaviness of them is staggering. And so this passage just came sh running, shouting into my brain. This is the image of our Jesus. It's not just that you're forgiven and we're hanging on until we get raptured out of this place. It's that the salvation that Jesus is offering is for you to experience and live in here and now. Now, that does not mean that he heals everything instantly. We're all testimony to that. Sometimes he does. Other times, it's a long period of time. And other times, he doesn't at all. 
If all of us die, that means at least one time in our life, he will say no to a prayer for healing, right? I'm glad we got that. So here's what we want to do. We want to add these, um, these cloths to our little prayer stations. And is this magic? I've actually seen someone email this on our Facebook page, and, they, and there's, there's a book out there that talks about how magic this turns out to be. You just touch, I mean, and you're like, come on, really? Of course not. This isn't magic. But there's power in the props, in the symbolism. And so today, we want you, we're going to have some extra time to respond. What we want you to do is we want you to come to the Lord's table as you always do. Take the bread and take the cup. If you want to leave your requests before the Lord, we invite you to do that. But we're going to hang, we're going to hang these over. And if you just want to come for a moment with some people or by yourself, and picture yourself fighting, ah, fighting your way through a crowd, trying to go unnoticed, but really hoping that you can just somehow get close enough that Jesus would see you and call you daughter or son and bid you to go in peace. This is just a way to use our imaginations to come and to claim not just the work of the cross for us, but the work of the cross in us. The salvation that's not just then and there, but the salvation that's here and now too. So this is just another layer of as a community how we approach our God and cry out for rescue. So um, as always, so there's a prayer station here, prayer station there, prayer station over here. Kelly, can I give you for over here, Carrie? Yeah, give that to Carrie. Could you put one where? Over here. Thank you, David. Oh, you need one more? For the gluten-free? They need salvation, too. That's a gluten-free table, my brothers and sisters. So we're just going to open it up to the table uh, for the zitzi, for the prayer stations. For those of you that partner with us and worship through financial giving, the participation boxes, of course, are around the, the room. But we're just going to take about 20 minutes. And if you'd like to come, take the bread, take the cup, to write a prayer request out, put one in, or just to take a moment with the sim this the symbol of the affection and the invitation of Jesus to us. So Father, we want to be a community that acknowledges the reality of hope and the reality of suffering. And Father, that in the midst of both, we find you working. And so God, we come and we come in boldness and we come hungry and we come thirsty. We come to your table to be reminded of who we are, to remind it of the forgiveness to remind it of the restoration and the inheritance you've given us, not by right, but by grace. And we come grasping at these little tassels, like the woman who came 
crying out for help and for rescue. And so God, we pray that you would draw near to us and that you would pour out your Holy Spirit and God, that you would remind us, you would call us son, you would call us daughter, that you would restore us and God, that you would allow this place to be a beacon of hope and light and, um, and grace um, for a world in need of all of those things. So to that end, God, now we draw near to you. In the name of our Jesus, amen. Or join my sisters in standing with my one brother. Um, voxoc.com. Um, we have an email address, prayer at voxoc.com, if there's something we can pray for beyond what you've written here. Care at voxoc.com, if you have a care need. Feedback at voxoc.com, I mean, you see a trend. I uh, would love to hear about your experience today. Biggest thing, my brothers and my sisters, uh, is that there is Mexican shortbread um, waiting for you out as the remnants for what? Sweet bread. Yep. It is, it is Mexican. It is bread. Can you go wrong? I don't think so. Um, so, uh, so please take advantage of that. Uh, I want to just do our blessing, though, as we, as we go. Thank you if you're here for the first time. We know we, you, you have your choice of many airlines. Thank you for flying with us today. <laughs> May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And may he give you peace in these days. Amen and amen. My brothers and my sisters, till next week, say hello to somebody as you leave. Say hello to Brett, who evidently is a fantastic guy. And uh, we'll, see ya. we'll see you next time. <laughs> totally. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.